0: This is James Moore, pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri, praying this audio message will be a blessing to you. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. Hey, this is kind of a uh, special Sunday because this is the final Sunday we have before all the kiddos go back to school and all the parents are like, yeah, let's get the dance on. No, this has been a big week. I know our college students have been loading up their cars. They're heading back to campus. They're getting their dorm room set. They're getting the apartments ready to go. A new semester of learning. Uh, We've been at Walmart, Target. You see all the back to school supplies. The elementary kids are getting their Elmer's glue and their stuff and the number two pencils. you got to have all your school supplies. I don't even know. Do they do number two pencils anymore? And what exactly is a number one pencil? I've not seen one of those. Is that lead? Is that what kids died? They don't talk about them anymore? I don't know. So, So we have like... All these things going on. I know a lot of schools had like their back-to-school events this past week, so everybody's going back to the school. They're meeting the new teacher. They're finding out where their classroom is, what their new schedule of events is. Uh, For me, I'm coaching once again, and so we are two weeks in, actually, into the fall season. So cross-country is underway. Uh, Football games on Friday nights, they're going to be back starting like this coming week. So we're in a season of change, right? Change is coming. And so a lot of young people are not excited about the change that's going to happen tomorrow or this week when the alarm goes off and they've got to get out of bed early. There's no more sleeping in. There's no more lazy days at the pool. It's time for us to go. So it's time for change. And, and whether or not you have kids that are going to school or not, guess what? Change is coming for you. It's one of those things that we sometimes don't like change. Um, in fact, most of us like to be comfortable. How many of you guys would admit, yeah, I love comfort? That's why you bought the house you have. That's why you bought the couch. That's why you changed your bed. You got that new pillow. You love comfort. That's why we have air conditioners in our cars. That's why you upgraded your car so that your phone connects so you can do hands-free calling. And we love comfort. We love comfort things. And we like to be where we're at, and we don't like to move. To prove this, what I could do is ask all of you to stand up again, and you wouldn't want to do it. Pastor already asked me to stand up once. And then if I said, find a different seat in this room, you would be grumbling under your breath. You would not like me. Because why? You like me. To be comfortable, you have your little section that you've sat in in this church if you've been here before, and this is your space. It's my comfort space. I feel good here. We have this in life. We like where we're at, and we don't like anyone pushing us out of it. Now, my favorite thing as a coach, this is my favorite quote, if you want to know my favorite quote as a coach, is that my job as a coach is to make athletes do what they don't want to do so that they can become who they've always wanted to become. And I think that same thing is true as a pastor, <laughs> oh, and I got the mic today. So what I think God's call for me is, is to help you do what you don't want to do so that you can become who God wanted you to become. But I can't follow you home, I can't chase you down, I can't make you do this, so I'm going to try to appeal to you, I'm going to try to motivate you, I'm going to try to do everything I can to get you to move. If I need to make you angry to move you, I'm going to make you angry. If I've got to scare you to move you, I'll scare you. If I've if got to just love you and help you, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm flexible. I'm willing to do whatever it takes, okay? Because we have to move. If you've ever been around standing water, like a cesspool, of like a pond, you know what starts to happen to that pond? It stinks. It stinks. I've been out on some runs and I'm like, what is that smell? And it's water that's sitting there. And then there's this stuff that grows on the top of it. That's what you're like when you don't move. Don't be that way. God wants us to move. And change is something that all of us are a little resistant to. But there's two times a year i found that people are more open to change. The first is when the calendar changes from December 31st to January 1st. Everybody's like, all right, new year, new me. Here we go, I'm gonna exercise more, I'm gonna eat less food, I'm gonna uh, lose some weight, I'm gonna be more organized, I'm gonna spend more time with my family, I'm gonna save more money this year. Like everybody, that calendar, man, I'm ready for change. And and like gyms are packed for one month. If you ever have a gym membership, you hate January because you're like, who are all these people? They're people who are trying to change. It's exciting. But then February hits and they're all gone, right? And so we have New Year's resolutions. but people are excited. They're ready to embrace and welcome change into their life, typically in January. But the other time I found just experientially that people embrace change is this time of year right now. Whenever we start school back, there's something about the start of a school year. And I don't know If it's just because our rhythms change and the pools close and the family vacations are over and kids are going back to school. Or if it's because we all grew up in America and our whole lives we have kind of been conditioned and trained to work from September to May and then chill through the summer and then we get back into the rhythm. I don't know what it is, but this time of year, people tend to be more open to change. And so, because maybe, just maybe, you tend to be a little bit more cultured for change right now, I wanna encourage you to change, to embrace it, to not resist it. Because change is inevitable. Change is coming whether you want it or not. Not all change is the same. Some change that comes, you don't want. This morning we heard about um, some some people who have passed, some people who have died. That is a change that none of us really want to experience. In fact, most of us aren't ready to experience that. I remember when I was in high school and there was a girl who died in a car accident. And, and I, I was walking through my school and, and nobody knew how to deal with this change, to deal with the fact that there was going to be an empty desk next to them, that the kid that they spent time with at lunch period they're no longer here how do we how do we deal with change that wasn't a change that anybody chose but it was a change that came it was a change that was inevitable so we have some change that's going to happen to us whether we want to or not but then there's other changes that we have a choice in there are things that we can choose to change or choose not to i want to think more about the voluntary changes that we can make And so I'm not talking today about exercise, I'm not talking about organization, I'm not talking about changing in those ways. Rather, I want us to think about the fact that when we stepped over the line of faith, and maybe you haven't, you're considering Christianity, what does it mean to be a a follower of Jesus? But when you make that choice, that's a voluntary choice to change. See, the call that Jesus had for followers was that you have to repent From your sins. So, so repent is this word that I'm going in this direction and I'm turning away from what I know is wrong and I am changing the direction of my life. Instead of calling the shots and me being in charge and me sitting on the throne of my life and me trying to build my kingdom and get people to do what I want and making money and buying things to fit my comfort, I am going to choose to not do that anymore. I'm going to choose to let Jesus sit on the throne of my life. I'm going to get down and I'm going to be now at his feet, whatever he wants. This is a big change. And if you think that you became a Christian and your life didn't change, guess what? You didn't become a Christian. (laughs) Because Christianity in and of itself is a choice of change. That I am not going to be in charge. God, you are in charge of my life. And so this is not also a one-time change. It's not like we get to check the box of our life and say, hey, I became a Christian. I'm good, I can go back to being on the throne. I can go back to my comfort. No, no, no. That's not how this works. You made a choice to let Jesus sit on the throne, which means he's calling the shots now. And guess what? This is so exciting. We serve a let's go God. He is a let's go. Like, we are not just sitting here. We are not just chilling. We're not just waiting for you to die so you can go sit on some cloud in heaven. That's not how this works. No, we serve a God who says, let's go. We've made the step of faith. Now I've got plans for you. I love you. I created you. I know everything about you. You have a purpose. Let's go. You weren't living in your purpose. You were doing things your way, the way that you desired. And I have a plan. And you've stepped over faith, so let's go. Life's about to get exciting. This is an adventure. This is, this is not just waiting to die to go to heaven. No, 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 no. It's time for us to go. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven 11 was a promise that was made to Israel, but it's true. It's a parallel truth to us. For God said, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. They're plans that are good. God has a plan for your life, and the worst thing you could do is miss it. The worst thing you could do is say, I don't want to choose his plan. But see, if you choose his plan, you're going to have to embrace some change. And we're all a little bit resistant to change, which means we're all naturally a little resistant to God. Because God wants you to change. I love the thought that we serve a God that's saying, let's go. He's, he's ready to lead us. He's not a God who's saying, just go. He's saying, let us go. He's a God who goes with us into the change. See, I think when I grew up, I always thought that like God was like, he was kind of far and removed and he's up here on this throne. And what I would do is I would run to God and I'd say, hey, what do you want me to do? And I would get the commands. All right, 10 commandments. And then I would go and I would try to work really hard to do these 10 commandments. And if I did them, I thought he was smiling. But that's not how this works. So often we try to do the Christian life in our own power. And guess what? Trying to do the Christian life in your own power without the Holy Spirit is like trying to drive a car without gas. It's not difficult. It's impossible. Okay? You can't do it. The thing that fuels change in your life, the thing that allows you to do what God's called you to do, allows you to live out his plan, is God's Holy Spirit. So instead of having this God who's here that I'm leaving to go obey, no, he's a God who said, come on, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. We're going to go step by step. And whatever, oh, you made a wrong choice. I'm right here. I'm not distant. I'm not far from you. I'm right here to help correct you and to recalculate your GPS. You stepped off the path. It's okay. We can get back onto the path. Our God loves us and is with us. And he is so patient. And we don't listen to him very well at all. But he doesn't give up on us. I'm so thankful that he's faithful. Man, some of you guys have done some dumb stuff. And God didn't give up on you. He hung in there. And so now, man, let's go. We have a God who's calling us to go. Now, I think a lot of us are resistant, not just to change, but but we have our reasons why. And I, I think if we look at the life of Moses... We're going to see that a lot of Moses' resistance to change is some of the same things that we have. So we're going to look at four reasons why Moses was resistant to what God was calling him to do. And four things that maybe you struggle with. Four reasons why maybe you aren't going with God at the pace that he would want. So some of you are familiar with Moses. Moses is a character in the Bible. He's in the Old Testament. He lived before Jesus, thousands of years before Jesus. And he was a Hebrew boy who was born uh, to this slave girl. And And actually, when he was born, there was a death sentence out that all of these baby boys were to be murdered. There was this fear of this, you know, the, 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 the Pharaoh at the time, he, he didn't like this. And so he was going to eliminate these Hebrew children. And so... so His mom loved Moses, and so he put him in this basket. And some of you guys remember the movies, and you've seen the story. And she sent him down the water in the Nile River. And, of course, Pharaoh's daughter was taking a bath and saved him. And so he gets raised in Pharaoh's home. He gets raised as the prince of Egypt. Let's go, Disney movies. okay? Um, And as the prince of Egypt, he grows up, and he eventually ends up murdering somebody. I don't know if you guys remember this story. He, he murders this guy, um, and he thinks that he's, he's doing it righteously. He's helping people. This, this guy was cruel and mean, and so he kills him, and then he hides him. He buries him, and he thinks he's getting away with it, and he finds out, no, no, you've been found out. And so he runs away. He runs away. He, he goes and lives out in the middle of nowhere. He lives in a wilderness. Uh, doesn't, nobody knows who he is. He's trying to hide out there, and it's in the wilderness that God comes to him, and God says, hey, i got a plan for you. Um, because I have a greater plan for other people. The people of Israel are in slavery, and I'm a let's-go God, and it's time for them to go. I've got a promised land, but I need somebody to lead them, and so he calls Moses and invites Moses to be that spokesman, to be his leader for the people to lead him into the promised land, and so we see, um, of course, once uh, the, 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 story unfolds that Moses does get them out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. You guys remember that? Raise the staff, the the water parts. They go over, and and we we have this great story. All right, let's go back, and we're going to jump into the story just a little bit, because at the beginning, Moses was not really excited to be the leader that God was calling him to be. He wasn't excited to go where God wanted him to go. And so if we take a look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, we have this encounter in which Moses sees this bush on fire, which doesn't make sense. And God begins to speak to him from the bush. And what he ends up saying to him is he says, now, Moses, go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Now notice the first word of verse 11. But, uh-oh, but Moses protested to God. <laughs> Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I don't know what your picture is of Moses, as you picture him before this burning bush and God speaking to him, maybe you have like a a Russell Crowe gladiator kind of guy. Um, Here's the truth he's 80 years old. 80. Just for fun, I looked up actors who are over the age of 80. Clint Eastwood today. Not Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry, Clint Eastwood today. That's Moses. Not really, you know, excited to go to a country and to try to lead people out. And, and, and I think he's initially thinking like, hey, like, God, who am I? I'm an 80-year-old man who is working watching sheep. And God, these aren't even my sheep. I'm not even like, a, you know, I didn't even take care of myself as an 80-year-old. I'm watching somebody else's sheep. Like, God, really? Really? who, Who am I? And here, here's the challenge, and this is the word I want you to think about, is circumstance. See, I think a lot of the reasons that we don't go where God wants us to go is because we're not thinking about things from his point of view. We're looking at our circumstances. He's looking at his age. He's looking at where he's at. He's looking at his vocation. He's looking at how life didn't turn out the way that he planned. He's looking at all of the reasons why he can't go and do what God wants to do. Who, who am I? I? I'm not... I'm not the guy. I'm not even set up. I don't even live in Egypt. I'm not by faith. I'm not your guy. And I think so often we look at our circumstances and we lose hope that we can become the person that God wants us to become because look at my life situation. Look at where I'm at. Look at where the decisions I've made have led me. I don't think I can go and do what God would want me to do. My circumstances won't allow me to do that. And I think the first thing that Moses throws up in God's face is, look, I'm not your guy. Circumstantially, this this doesn't make no sense. And and I think some of you are in the same place that when you look at your circumstances, you begin to talk yourself out of doing what you know God's called you to do. Like there's no doubt God's speaking to Moses, but he's trying to talk himself out of doing it. And I think we too have this internal dialogue that we have with God about how we can't do it. I think also it's not just his circumstance. It's not just the fact that he's 80 and he's living in the middle of a wilderness and like he's disassociated with life and maybe a little discouraged about life. But you know what else he's a little frustrated about? He's like, God, I can't do this because, God, do you know my past? Do you know what I've done? Like when we read Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, this is the story of him murdering somebody. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Hey, why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who started the fight. And the man replied, well, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to live in the land of Midian. This is the wilderness. This is where he's watching some animals that aren't his. He was a murderer on the run. And now God is saying, I want you to go to Pharaoh and lead my people out. God, I, I can't do that. God, I, I don't know if you know who you're talking to, but I'm disqualified. I'm, I'm a murderer. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a man of God. I'm not right. I, I've been hiding out here for 40 years. God, you've got the wrong guy. We try to talk ourselves out of doing what God wants because we look at our circumstances and we look at our past. But listen, we have to know that no matter what your past is, there is no past that God can't redeem. You have not done anything that's too far gone. God loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He's not willing to let you be stuck in that. I think about my, my kids. I have three boys at home. And, and I have loved them at every age and every stage. When they were newborns, I loved those little guys. But I didn't want them to stay there. When they were two-year-olds, I loved them there. I definitely didn't want them to stay there. <laughs> I have loved them at every age and every stage. But ultimately, I want them to become amazing adults. And so I'm not willing for them to be stuck there. And I think God, in the same way with us, we sometimes get stuck thinking, I'm disqualified. I can't do what God wants. My past is so messed up. It's so shameful. I feel so much guilt. I don't think I could ever hold my head up and go and do or talk to anybody or say what God wants. I'm just so unworthy. We're like Wayne's World, unworthy, unworthy. We're, we're in this mode, and it's not what God would have for us. And we are trying to come up with excuses and tell God why his plan's not not going to work for us. Listen, his plan works. He knows more than you. He's better than you, and he can redeem your past. There's nothing that you've done that is so far removed that God cannot still use you, that he doesn't still have a good plan for your life. We throw circumstance at him. We throw past at him, but listen, God is bigger than those things. God can change your circumstances in an instant. I've recently come to realize, like, maybe I I was like, man, I don't know how this is going to play out in my life. I don't know circumstantially. I'm not sure how this plays out. And I was just reminded in an instant, your circumstances can change with God. He's a supernatural God and can do anything. In your past, whatever it is that's been holding you down, do you think God wants you to have that on you? Do you think God wants you to continue to carry that shame and that guilt? No. If anybody wants it, it's not God, it would be the opposite of God. Don't be playing on that team. Don't keep carrying that weight. It's stopping you from doing what you've been called to do. So man, we got to let's go God. We've got to stop bringing up our excuses about our circumstances and bringing up our excuses about our past. You know, the third thing that, that Moses did, he wasn't done. That wasn't enough. He continued, like he really did not want to do what God wanted him to do. In Exodus chapter four verse 10, Moses pleaded with the Lord. He said, Oh, Lord, you're getting close to getting me to do this. I don't want to do this. Oh, Lord, I, I'm not very good with words. I, 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 never, I never have been, and, 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 and I'm not now. I, I, even, even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and, and my words get, get tangled up. And I can only imagine God just smiling. <laughs> Like, Mo, you're, you're doing everything you can. Okay, so you're, you're not that well-spoken. But really, what was the core of, of Moses' thing? I'm bringing up the stuttering. I think Moses was saying, God, listen. All right, you can, you can redeem my past. You can change my circumstances. But, but you're still sending me. You're still sending me. And I'm weak. And so, God, before you send me, will you fix my weakness? I can't speak very well. I'll go, but first fix my weakness. Make me strong, and then I'll go. I think so many of us want God to do that. We don't want to carry weakness. We don't want that to be a thing. We want weakness to be so far in our past that we look like we were never weak. But here's the thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9... My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work through me. Paul here is saying, what did God say to him? My grace is all you need. It's not about a removal of your weakness. In fact, God's power works best in your weakness. Wow. God's power is greater than whatever your weakness is we got to get through the circumstances. we got to get through the past, but then we realize, I'm weak. God, I can't do it. I, he says, I know you can't. I'm not sending you to do it on your own. I'm going to do it with you. In fact, my grace is all you need. And my power, oh, it looks so much better because people say, there's no way that guy can do that. He says, that's right. That's the power of God in your life. We have so many things that we try to stop from moving. We love comfort, but God's saying, let's go. And here's what's interesting to me. You'd think that's enough, right? Like, that's enough. Moses is going to go. And then Moses goes. This is so cool. Moses shuts up. He says, all right, your grace is enough. I see what you want. You're going to redeem my past. You can change my circumstances. You're going to give me support through my brother Aaron. This is great. We're going to go. He makes the trip trip. He's actually standing before Pharaoh. He's doing the plan. He's doing what God wants. And what happens in the midst of that? Something that we overlook because we've just read the story so many times, but something I'm telling you would have maybe shook me just a little bit. See, he ends up before Pharaoh and God's going to send these plagues, these big supernatural signs to show off a little bit, to say, hey, you guys have been worshiping all sorts of gods. You've been worshiping the sun. You've been worshiping work. You've been worshiping all sorts of things. Listen, I'm going to show off. I'm going to show you some stuff that only I can do. And so Moses is like, this is going to be awesome. This is awesome. I got God. It's going to be so good. Like, hey, Pharaoh guess what i'm going to raise my staff i'm going to throw it on the ground it's going to turn into a snake <laughs> god's real like how cool like it's going to be an awesome moment this is television worthy and he does it and so pharaoh chilling says call in the magicians and they call in these magicians these sorcerers these people that are 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 not people of god and they too bring their little sticks and i don't know how this happens in the bible they throw their sticks on the ground and they turn into snakes too. Uh, in that moment, if I'm Moses, I'm embarrassed. I thought this was special. I thought this was unique. I thought, like, now, now luckily, I think that initial thing had to hit Moses. Now, as, if you read the story, it's pretty cool because then his snake goes and eats all the other snakes. Hey, so that embarrassment turns, hey, you know, there's a little excitement, but like it didn't shake Pharaoh, like Pharaoh was like, yeah, that's cute, but whatever, all right, it ain't it, all right, and so he picks up a snake, and turns back to his staff, and he walks out, and so then he comes back, and he's like, all right, frogs, <laughs> I don't know how that was in God's mind, but frogs, so he raises his staff, and all these frogs come, and the magicians are like, we can do that too, and frogs, and it's like, what, what's up with these magicians doing all the same things, it's It's like everything that I thought God was going to do, and I was believing, and like it showed up, but then it was like there's this other thing. Here's what I believe. I believe that when you begin to do what God wants, and you begin to move in that direction, you're going to have more resistance than you've ever had before. And I believe that the devil is going to give you his best shot. And I think that when Moses was doing this, the devil's doing everything he can to try to say, hey, no, no, don't do it, Pharaoh. Hey, turn the other way. Discourage Moses. Moses, give up. If Moses gave up, are the Israelites ever free? No. Like, he had to stay the course. And so I think the devil is going to give you his best shot. He's going to do whatever he can to discourage you. It can be circumstantial, that change in your life. It can be things that happen at work. It can be things that happen in your family. It can be the the loss of a loved one. The devil's going to do everything he can to try to shake you from going where God wants you to go. Oh, you think God is good? Well, what if your brother dies in a boating accident? God, are you good? God, I thought you were with me. God, I thought you loved me. God, I thought you were doing a work in my family. But God, how can I follow you now? When God's trying to move you, the devil's going to throw you his best shot. He's going to do it every can to discourage you. He's do it every can to get you to take your eyes off the destination that God has for you. To stop walking beside God and to turn and face Him. And have conflict with him. He's going to do anything and everything he can in his power to get you to not go. He's going to do everything he can to get you stuck and to say this is good enough. I've made enough movement. I don't know about this God anymore. And doubts can come in. And questions can come in. The devil's going to do everything he can to stop you. What do you do? When the devil starts taking shots at you, who do you have in your life that you can have as a support system around you? Who do you have that when you're on your worst day and life can't be any better, can't be, can't be any worse? It's just this is horrible. Who do you have that can come and love you with the love of Christ? Who do you have that will mourn with you? Who do you have that will celebrate with you? Who are your people? Listen, we can't do this on our own. Like God said of Adam before there was ever sin in the world, it's not good for you to be alone. Why do we think that we are okay to be alone now? And Adam wasn't completely alone. God was with him. That wasn't enough. He needed others. He needed people. We need one another. this morning, I want you to think about the fact that God loves you. He knows your story. He knows everything about your past. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He knows the circumstances that you're currently in. He knows the doubts, the questions that you have. He knows what you think about the future. He knows where you are right now. And he's looking at you and he's saying, let's go. Come on, let's go. I got great plans for you. It's good. I've got a path. It's going to be wonderful. You just got to move with me. What for you is your hang up? Four things. Are you bringing up your circumstances? Is that what's holding you back? You think, I don't know. I don't think I can move here. Is it that? Is is it your past? I'm just too far gone. It's too much, too much baggage. I can't go where you want, God. It's too far of a journey. Is it your weakness? God, I can't do what you asked me to do. I'm still so broken. Fix me first and then I'll go. And he's like, no, no, no. My power is made perfect in weakness. Or is the thing that's not, not got you moving, has it just been the devil's best shot at you? Is the devil winning? Is he getting you to doubt? Is he getting you to question? Is he getting you to deconstruct? Is he get, what is he getting you to do that's causing you to not move in the direction that God would have for you? This morning, God has a plan for your life. Man, the best thing you can do is get in step with it. He loves you. It's not a plan to harm you. It's not a bad plan. It's the best plan ever. It's better than any plan you could dream up for yourself. And he doesn't just send you on it. You're not an errand boy on an assignment. He is with you, and he's ready to do the journey with you. I always wondered why in the world... When Moses got the Israelites outside of Egypt, why did they go into the wilderness anyway? There was a different path. They could have gone straight to the promised land. They didn't have to go through the wilderness. Why did they go through the wilderness? Here's what I think. I think God wanted to spend time with his people. No distractions. No land flowing with milk and honey. Just you and me. I think he probably felt the same way I did about my honeymoon. We ain't taking anybody on the honeymoon with us, Missy. It's just you and me. Your parents aren't going. My parents aren't going. Nobody we know. We're it's just you and me. I think God had the same thing when he looked at his people. He said, it's just going to be you and me. I want your heart. I want you to fall in love with me and know me. I want to spend time with you. I think he took them to the wilderness so that they would be able to fall more deeply in relationship with one another, they would experience intimacy, that they would know that there's trust. But the people, of course, they didn't, they didn't get that. They just wanted what God had to offer. Him, he became secondary. God's got a plan. Let's not get so excited about the plan that we miss it. It's about him. And anything that God's going to have you do is going to have an impact on other people. See, The plan involves you loving him entirely, but it also involves you loving other people. And so who do you need to love? Do you have a child, an adult child who's walked away from church and God? How can you love them? Do you have a parent who's aging? How can you love them? Do you have a neighbor who's at home right now? How can you love them? God's got a plan. He's asking you to go will you go? Let's bow our heads and pray. God, I am so thankful that you are a let's go God. I'm so thankful, God, that you love us right where we are, but I also am so thankful you don't leave us there. You have more for us and God, I just ask that all of us here and those who are hearing this message online or listening to or recording this after the fact, Lord, I ask that they would encounter you, that they would experience you in such a great way, that they recognize your voice like Moses did, that they would know, God, that you have a plan and that you're calling them to move and to go. And I ask God that all of their excuses, whatever it is for them, whether it's their circumstances, their past, their weakness, or whatever discouragement the enemy may have brought, I pray, Lord, that they would take those excuses, that they would identify them, acknowledge them, and cast them aside, and that they would step out in faith. It doesn't always make sense. It's not always logical for Moses to leave the wilderness. It didn't make sense, but he trusted you. And I ask that we would trust you, too, with every step we take. And, Lord, may you do a work not only in our lives, but in our world, as we each surrender our hearts to you and begin to fulfill your plan. As we close this morning, I want to invite everyone just to pray the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.